everyone. Welcome back or welcome to an all new episode of the 20% podcast, the podcast that brings you tips and tricks from industry professionals across all industries that you could implement in your current job today. I'm your host, Tyler Meckes. This week's guest is Meg Holsinger. Meg is currently the director of customer success at Sell Better by JB Sales. And we actually first met when I was interviewing at JB Sales just a few short years ago. Meg has 20 plus years in customer success. So we first dove into Meg's move into customer success early on how it changed over the years, and ultimately what her predictions are for 2023. In today's episode, you'll also hear selling in CS without that ick factor. CS will be revenue generating in 2023, getting crystal clear on your expansion growth numbers, guiding your teams through changes such as in composition, Meg's 2023 predictions, how to compartmentalize life and work, which was awesome, and so much more. Please enjoy this week's episode with my friend, Meg Holsinger. Meg Holsinger, welcome to the 20% Podcast. Thank you for having me. I was just saying, Meg and I go back probably three, two, three years ago at this point. I actually interviewed at JB Sales, and that's where we first met. And I, I just said, admittedly, I'm upset that this is the first time that we're actually talking in face-to-face or, or just live, I guess. Um, but it, it's so good to see you, Meg. Number one, had a lot of conversations, been talking with, uh, you know, obviously, you're the director of CS over at Sell Better by JB Sales. Um, obviously, it's been great to... Uh, build relationships with that entire team, you know, since, since doing the interview process. Right. But number one, our friend, James Say What Sales Buckley says that you are the best closer that he has ever met, but you're in customer success. You shouldn't be closing. Well, right. Why does he say such, say such a thing? Yeah. So, because he's James and he's, <laughs> he's nuts. No. Uh, yeah. It is a little bit of an odd, um, it is a bit of an odd sort of comparison maybe is the right word to use, but um, it is because I believe that even if you are in CS or customer success, that you are selling. So if you're at all in a role where you are looking to expand relationships, guess what? You have to close them too. So uh, yes, I do like to take pride in my uh, closing capabilities, uh, but really what I take the most pride in is my ability to sell to a customer base without the ick factor. Um, and that is a huge, a huge thing that I preach, a huge thing that I tell my clients about, um, and something that I think a lot of people in CS, particularly in 2023, are going to need to pay a lot of attention to. Yeah, and 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 we were talking about this right before we jumped on. There are massive, massive, massive that I don't know if I highlighted that enough trends in customer success teams having to do more with less. Obviously, there's there's been a lot of layoffs right now. We're recording this uh, almost in December of 2022, so um, it's a, a very uncertain world. But there's a lot of light that's being shined on customer success, and a lot of teams are actually forced to sell. But I would love to hear a little bit more of your thoughts before we dive into your background and how we even got here. Um, like you mentioned that it's not as icky to, to sell while you're in customer success. Is it is it because customer success is looked at as, hey, we're going to help you adopt and we're going to train you and we're going to onboard you? Thinking more of that, what I think the the CS of yesterday looks like essentially. But tell me, tell me a little bit more. You obviously have 20 plus years in the CS world. Why is it less y- y- icky, yicky in in how do we continue to have that trend forward? Yes, not have it be icky. Right. Uh, so CS has changed um, like many roles. I mean, listen, if you're in sales and you were in sales 20 years ago and you're in sales now, you could rattle off a, a bunch of stuff that has changed in how 
and how you prospect and, and what you do. So the same thing goes for CF, but what's different with customer success is that there's been a shift in like core responsibilities and particularly the concept of moving away from being what you would call a cost center uh, to a revenue generating center, right? So if I'm a CFO and I'm looking at an organization, what I see initially when I look at my teams is I look at them as cost centers or profit centers, right? So are they revenue generating or are they not revenue generating and they're costing me money because I'm paying their salaries? They're still doing something, but they're not generating anything up and over what it is that I am paying them, you know, with benefits, all that kind of stuff. Right. So what we've seen, and and this this trend started, it actually really was before COVID. I was I was seeing a lot of it. Um, it was moving slowly. CS was moving slowly away from your traditional sort of account manager. Let me handhold the client. I'll do what they want. You know, I'll check in with them. I'll I'll make sure they have what they need, and and that was it. And then slowly but surely, really with COVID too it started to take on a different, it, it, a whole different approach. And fast forward to where we are now, um, CS teams are going to be, majority of CS teams are going to be revenue generating in 2023. And if they are not, uh, they're going to have some problems. Now I wanna put a little bit of a caveat next to that. Not all companies work the same. You and I both know that, right? So larger organizations have different structures in place. Smaller organizations have different structures in place. Some organizations have professional services teams that aren't going to sell at all. They are there to just implement and onboard. However, I would expect, and I'm going to predict, that you're going to see a number of CS teams get tagged with um, quotas for 2023, quarterly quotas, yearly quotas, um, and they're the risk factor will be uh, implemented. And what I mean by risk is instead of that base salary, uh, you know, check that you get <laughs> every couple of weeks, now it's going to be, yeah, base salary, but here's the opportunity to earn more and you have a quota and you have, a you know, number of upsells, number of expansion dollars, um, all sorts of different things. That's going to be very foreign to a lot of, um, a lot of CS people. So it's been changing, but it's, it's now like, Think of it as like we've we've made it to the brick wall. It's time to climb up and over the brick wall and just go on. We gotta we gotta we gotta make it so that they're selling. And we have to take a big step back for a big deep breath for all those CS folks who are listening to this right now. Whether you're a CS leader or you're a CS uh, rep, everything is gonna be all right. Your teams, believe it or not, are already incredible sellers. They just have that icky selling word that's in there. And I know that the teams that sell better are all about making the sales profession better, making customer success better. Well, we're going to talk, I'm, I'm so excited to dive into the cost center, the compensation stuff later on as well, because we're actually seeing a lot of teams moving their comp over to like more net revenue retention focused bonuses, um, which which I'm, I'm really excited to talk about there. But before we talk about all of what the modern day customer success looks like, I want to take a step back in your career and even learn who Meg was before even customer success. So obviously went to UMass, studied uh, classical studies, which I'm, I'm excited to talk about. But what were you like as a kid? Were you always, you know, uh, I say customer centric. You know, obviously you're not a customer centric kid, but like, what were you like as a person, uh, as, a, as a child? And what were some of the early first jobs that you had? 
Yeah, um, that's a great question. So I'm the oldest of five, uh, and there's a big age difference between myself and my two youngest sisters. So um, I was always, uh, as a child, never really a child. I was a I was a grown up taking care of my sisters and taking care of you know everyone around me, and so therefore. I kind of got, I think I got bossy real quick. I think I kind of was like, here's what's going to happen. Here's how we're going to do it. Here's how this is going to take place. So if I saw something and I wanted it, um, I went for it. And my mom, I grew up with a mom who worked, who was a very successful CMO um, at a large software company and worked her butt off. Um, so I saw that women could absolutely survive and thrive in technology. And back back then it wasn't a common thing either. Right. So um, for me, yes, all my jobs, um, for the most part, were always waitressing. Um, and that is one of the toughest sales jobs that you will have. You were carrying um, a quota then too. Oh God. Yeah, absolutely. And and you're selling them on all sorts of different things. I mean, you wanted to get the, the biggest thing I ever learned when, when waitressing is, um, get, make sure that their alcoholic drinks are never empty. So you always get, you, you go and you're like, Hey, would you like another drink? The reason why is that's what brings the tab up, right? Those drinks bring the tab up. I'm sure I'm breaking some law around like over-serving, which I never did, but right. you know what I mean, like <laughs> get, getting it up. But but these are things that you have to think about to get that tab up because what happens when that tabs up, you get a bigger tip, you walk away with more. So I'm um, always wasting. That's what I did all through um, high school, college, um, summer stuff. I always, always did that. Um, yep. Went to UMass, uh, got a degree in classics. It's a long story of why I ended up there, but I'm really glad I did. Um, what is classic studies? Yeah. So it's like, um, Latin Roman history, the classics, Greek, uh, the only way I ended up in that was because, uh, freshman year when I was entering UMass, um, I had intended to be a uh, pre-vet. I, I was a big uh, horseback rider growing up and uh, I failed out freshman year. Um, turns out, you know, it's a little bit of an entry point having <laughs> going in and not being able to get your work done. And anyway, I, I didn't do well, came back sophomore year, couldn't find any classes to take. Only classes that were open were like Latin and Greek mythology. So I got into them, fell in love with it. Um, ended up graduating with honors in it and then thought I actually wanted to go into teaching. Uh, so I went right in, got my master's, um, taught uh, fourth grade for a year um, and started introducing Latin um, at the local elementary school. Um, and at the time that I was in graduate school, um, my husband, uh, who was actually, well, he was my husband back then too. We had just gotten married. Um, he was in the police academy. Uh, so neither one of us had any money. I was in graduate school. He was in the police academy. We were living above his parents' garage. Um, and I took a part-time job at a little local company um, called Global Sales Alliance, which was a sales training company. And it was like 15 hours a week for her to be her admin. Uh, and I went in, started working for her. It was just, you know, paperwork and stuff like that, just to make some extra money. Right. Um, and that turned into the rest of my life, essentially. So uh, I immediately knew as soon as I started working, not just for Nancy, but for the company and in sales, um, that I wanted to work. That's what I wanted to do. So I didn't teach. I finished my master's, um, didn't teach, went to go work for her full time as an account manager. Um, and she taught me how to sell. So my job was not just to 
take care of existing clients. My job was to also make sure they renewed, uh, make sure that they had more, make sure that they were, um, there was absolutely a sales component to it. I love that. Oh my yeah. goodness. There's so many different things to jump into there as well. Number one, I would argue that you were already selling to fourth graders as well. I know we have, you know, you have kids, we have two kids that are under three right now. And I, and I think a lot of my selling, uh, a lot of my, uh, my skill development recently in negotiation and selling actually comes with some of those kids. So fourth graders have a little bit more attitude. I'm sure you probably learned um, yeah. a lot about that as well. Um, but it's really interesting as well, um, just with, with your background and in, in falling into sales and getting a master's and then going to be an account manager, that's the same exact path that I had as well. And I think that one of the biggest thing, and I'm curious for your perspective on the account manager, because, you know, even when I was doing some interviews before uh, coming to Lantern and even, even before Dooley, people were like, oh, you're just an account manager. You don't have a selling background. Yeah. De could you debunk that for me? Because my argument on this is that account managers have to know, not like AEs could just sell to whatever pain that they actually have, right? Whatever pain point that your, that your product could sell to. But when you're an account manager, you need to not only understand that pain, you need to know it through and through that use case. And then ultimately, where else is the green territory to expand? So I think yeah. that that's even a more strategic selling, in my opinion. What, what are your thoughts? Well, my thoughts are an account manager, CS, whatever you want to call it, um, they have the really tricky job of having to play both good guy and bad guy. Um, and here's what I mean by that. So an AE... Um, can come in and sell a deal. But typically an AE isn't going to take that deal and then implement it and onboard it and run with it. Or literally so, care about anything else outside of that right. initial and, and no disrespect to AEs, although I've seen plenty of them that literally will throw just bad stuff over. There are many AEs that are wonderful, of course, and give us wonderful deals. But the AEs aren't in it for the long run. They're not compensated in the long run. I mean, unless there's some clawback situation that they might have of some kind, but for the most part, they're, they're not in it for the long game, right? They're not in it for the renewal. They're not in it for the upsell. Um, so when you have a CS person who now has to, at some point in time, sometimes resell the entire damn thing. Most of the time, right. I mean, when, especially when there's a churn risk or you have a champion oh, yeah. leave or there's a million different reasons why. I mean, they they either have to resell the entire thing. They have to, now they're forming relationships with people that are brand new. And here's the thing. So now you've got to, you've got to be able to say, all right, client, start using our stuff here. Let me help you implement it. Let me make sure that you have what you need. But oh, by the way, um, I need you thinking about X, Y, and Z. Like for instance, you mentioned that you're going to be hiring five new folks in the coming months. So one of the things we're going to want to talk about and put on the schedule is how do we set those five new people up with licenses? I'm making this up in right. six months. That's selling. That's saying, making a assumptive statement, getting them to see what they need to do. And then that's closing it, coming, coming into it and saying, okay, here we are. I know you've got five new people. Here are your options for implementation. Here's how much it's going to cost, right? Now you also have to be the bad guy. Sometimes, right? Because we all know customers, you know, don't always, aren't always happy. <laughs> uh, sometimes they don't want to do things or they want a lot, but they don't want to pay for it, right? You know, that, that's how that works. So of course. I think with, with a CS person, with an, an account manager, you absolutely are selling, I think, and, and you're doing it in having to be both the good guy and the bad guy, which is really tricky. But I will say one last thing. 
you're not selling unless you've got some skin in the game. And this is a conversation that I've been having a lot with CS leaders. So they'll call them, I'll, I'll be talking to a CS leader and they'll say something like, yep, you know, we want our CS team to start selling more. And I'll say, great, what do you mean by selling? Well, we want them to expand revenue. We want them to increase their renewal rate, whatever. Great. So what are the specific, how, how, by how much? Let's take the expansion number. Do you have a number uh, quarterly that you want each rep to expand their um, their their quota by? And if, I cannot tell you the number of times the CS leaders will say something like, gosh, I don't, well, no, we just want them to expand it. Okay, nope, dial it back. I'm not gonna be incentivized to do anything unless I have a clear understanding of what it is that I, I'm supposed to be doing. So I have a book of business and that book of business is worth $30,000 on its own. I'm making this up. Is my goal quarter over quarter to increase that book of business by $10,000? Is it by, am I, is it by 5,000 or is it by, I've sold three additional add-ons, whatever your business model is, give them, give them a quota, give them a specific metric and then compensate them on that. And this is where things sort of start to fall off a little bit. Because when I say that to these CS leaders, they're like, oh, I'm not sure they're ready for compensation on that. Well, then why would, what? where's the motivation? I mean, there's only so much motivation you and I can sit there and be like, come on guys, you know you want to do this. Sure, but you got to also give them something to push for. So that is going to be the real topic of conversation is how to structure CS comp. Um, and I've been having a ton of conversations about it, um, setting up for the, for 2023. And I think it's going to be a really interesting, it's going to be a lot of, it's going to be a lot of testing what works, what doesn't work, all sorts of different stuff, but I think you're going to see more of it. That's so interesting. And let's just, uh, I'm going to put you on the spot here as well. Say you're at a, an early stage series, a series B company that is trying to that same scenario. You want to grow that existing, th those existing customer base say you want to do it by that 25% mark. So we want to go, you know, 10 K expansion. No, yeah. like how would you change your compensation package? If it was just a standard base package previously, is it, is it that net revenue retention or is it just a, a percentage of that actual growth revenue? How would you structure that? Um, I would pick one and start with it. I wouldn't try to do both. Um, I think an easier one is percent growth. Um, retention can get a little bit tricky depending on the the book of business you've been given or when their renewal dates are or, or, or that kind of thing. So what I would do is I would say, listen, for quarter one, um, you have the, this, you have X book of business. So you have, you have 20 accounts, each account is worth a thousand dollars. And so your book of business is $20,000. We've identified it, you know, somewhere between five and $10,000 of potential upsells, um, in your existing book of business. So that could be additional users. It depends on the business that you're doing. It could be, uh, additional products, obviously more services. You could be selling any, anything really, right? right? Um, so the, I would start with growth and I would say, here's, here's a number. We want you to sell an additional 5% the first quarter on top of your existing book of business and start low. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go something crazy huge. Let them see what that's like for the first quarter, or you could, you could do it monthly. I'm more of a quarterly type of a girl. Yep. Um, I think it makes more sense. Um, but what I also would suggest is that you introduce the concept of like spiffs 
or um, like spot bonuses where um, this can get people really excited. Like, let's say they did close a deal um, and they did it, you know, in record time or whatever, like give them a spot bonus, do, do something that gets them excited about selling. I promise you, once you start incorporating that extra sort of com commission component, it's going to be a lot easier to do. Now, next quarter, what we're going to do is we're going to increase that number a little bit more. And then what might happen is the following quarter, we increase it, but we decrease your base salary. So that's the hardest conversation to have. And I've been through it. I've been on the receiving end of it. I've been the one telling it multiple different times. It is very scary when someone says, I'm going to take your base salary and lower it, but I'm going to up your commission. And if you don't know what you're doing, you're listening to that and going, wait a minute, you're taking money away from me. And the answer is no, you're not getting money taken away from you. You are actually being handed the opportunity to make a crap ton more. <laughs> so that's where that's where the real sales talk comes in. And that's when you really become a revenue generating center. That that's so fantastic. And we all know, and, and I think we need to yell it for, for some of the leaders in the back who may not be listening as much compensation drives action and it drives the, the focus. So like, you can't just constantly say more, 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 more when the CS team is already seeing, and you know, let's look at it right now, economy right now. And this, this is stories that we hear all the time. Economy is going down, which means uh, a lot of people are tightening the purse strings a little bit. Yep. So CS teams are seeing a little bit more churn. They're already working their butt off. They're already doing all these support tickets. They're already fielding these customer interactions. Now you're telling me that you're going to be taking my money away after I'm already getting beat up. They already have the one of the toughest jobs in the company. Now we're looking at this situation where CS is starting to be elevated a little bit more now because the, the top of funnel is starting mm -hmm. to reduce because people are tightening them those purse strings. So like, where is the big disconnect with, with all this? I think it's just the assumptions that people will, will work for not for nothing. <laughs> I I think it's it's misguided leadership at a, at a lot of times. I mean, I would when I whenever I had to introduce a new comp plan to any anyone on my team, I would sit down and I would do best case, middle case, worst case. So I would literally do math with them. I'm not kidding because I wanted them to very much understand exactly what we were doing. We weren't doing it to be evil or whatever we were doing it actually to incentivize them to sell more and a lot of people this is new to them right and so what i think we're missing is that there's so much pressure on leadership particularly if you're pe backed vc backed of of this bottom line number that they're pivoting real quick to oh shit we need to get cs to help us out with that bottom line number not just what we thought this whole imploded sales team we just hired and then laid off uh, are going, we're, we're going to do for us. Um, but you can't do that. Unfortunately, you can't do that overnight. You've got to do it with a bunch of communication. You've got to do it with a little bit of handholding and you've got to do it in a, in a way that provides them with the resources that they feel comfortable taking this new step. So those resources can be things like training and development, um, management development, right? Anything that they can do, courses, technology, um, anything that they can do that will help them sell better um, is going to make them feel more comfortable. Um, 
if you expect to put someone into a selling role that's never sold and you don't give them anything to help them, then they're not going to do it. I, I, I mean, it's pretty much basic management one-on-one. No, a thousand percent. And that's why I'm so excited about the work that we're doing at Lantern here as well, because what we we actually do is we, we surface insights of, hey, this account based upon ingesting your customer data from those seven, 10, 15 different sources, then what you're able to do is, is predict and show, hey, this account is actually ready to be upsold so that it allows these CS teams to really focus on, hey, or, or this one's at risk or this one's upsell. Obviously, in the net re- revenue retention space, you want to make sure that both of those are in check. But they, but to your point of needing trading at with like what Sell Better does and what you and your teams do, or even having that technology that provides these insights, like why are those areas so important in your opinion? I mean, like I think I think personally think, and I think this is you know why we're in business right now is that it's going to reduce the anxiety of making that big shift while asking these teams to do more. But I'm curious on your thoughts there. Well, I think the big thing is 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 like companies like Lantern being able to provide organizations with, you know, data and saying, Hey, let me signal this for you. This account is ready for an upsell. I think that that's an, that's amazing. And I think will will make client, make people feel much better having that. So they're not like sifting through, wasting their time, trying to figure it out. Right. The key though, is what do they do with that information? And more importantly, how do they articulate that? So for instance, if I'm, you know, Joe Schmo and I'm a CS person at a company and Lantern serves me up some data and says, hey, Joe, XYZ company looks like they're there, they could have an upgrade or something like that. The la- the very last thing I want to do, because this is what makes sales icky, is literally starting email being like, Hey, looks like you're ready for an upgrade. <laughs> you know what I mean? You, you got you, so you run the risk of of a of a, a certain component of that team using that data and being like pressing play, right? It's how we talk a lot about like sales cadences and all that kind of stuff. Like you run the risk of of being able to just press play. However, with a good CSM, a good account manager with the right training is going to be able to take the data that you serve up and be able to put it, connect it back to a why. So why does this upsell help them? What does it do for them? Of course it helps you, right? Of course it does. But what does it mean for them? What are they going to get out of it? Why should they be doing it? What have they done? Why does it matter to them? How does it build a relationship? If I haven't talked to a person in a while, the last thing I'm going to do is be like, hey, long time, no talk. By the way, do you want to buy? Yep. Like that's what makes sales icky. And so what we teach is how to not do that. You can, you should constantly be be selling. You should constantly be closing. And you should do that with data that you get in front of you for sure. But also by asking better questions and building those relationships. That is un. Believable. There's so there's so many different things. Always constantly be closing, constantly be focusing. It's, I mean, it, it's unbelievable how teams aren't as focused in some of in some of these areas. And, and to your point too, of just it, it's just all about trying to make sales less icky and make yep. customer success less icky, right? Yep. We don't want to if we're going to be exposing customer success teams to selling, let's try to do it right this time so that we're not actually. Uh, making or getting the the sales bug or or what or whatever's icky about sales into these teams as well. Uh, Amazing. Now, okay, so let's let's continue talking further about what you what 
some of the modern CS teams are going to look like here as well. And I know we talked about it before. It's a cost. CS is a cost center, right? Uh, and, and the last thing that you want is, hey, we're, we're, we need to bring on more team members. And your CFO says no. But if you're a cost, uh, a revenue generation center versus a cost center, they're not going to have as much of a, a standing to, to sit on, right? What, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I think we're going to see a lot of CS teams sit under chief revenue officers. Um, I think we're going to see a combination of, um, or, or or even not even a chief revenue officer, like a, a, a chief sales officer. Some I think we're going to start to see the combining um, of sales teams and CS teams, uh, much more so than we've ever had before. Um, I think we're going to see a lot of CS involvement in the pre-sales process. So I think we're going to start to see some uh, CS teams on high accounts um, come in uh, before the contract is signed um, to have an input on variety of different things, but getting them involved, um, getting them into the mix. Um, so that's going to be, I think, a big trend we're going to start to see more and more of. Um, and then I think just also, I think technology, obviously, with what net new sales folks have had a lot of technology at their fingertips for a long time. Um, too much, in my opinion. Well, that's uh, where you're seeing so much churn now, oh, right? We had this yeah. big influx of everybody, uh, everything's going uh, uphill or everybody's going downhill. Everything is great. And we're just buying all this tech. Oh. And then when they realize that it's just bloated and they want to cut spend. Not only bloated, no one's using it. Um, I mean, I can, uh, the number of horror story of a client that I was on the phone with a couple of weeks ago and spent gajillions of dollars implementing some of these sales engagement tools and didn't do a damn thing with it. And I'm when I just, it, it made me cringe. So um, with CS, we have, there are things that are coming into play now. Um, what I think we're going to see more of is we've got to get a tool that can work across the entire company. I think we need to really see a tool that can serve up data for sales, but will also serve up data for CS. Um, that everyone can work in, uh, that they are on the same page about, because there's nothing worse than being, in, in, you know, speaking two different languages, essentially, and, and having the left arm not talking to the right arm. Um, so I, I think that's going to be something, a consolidation um, of a tech stack. And when they look at that tech stack, I think the biggest thing is going to be what can serve the broader population. Right. What can serve the broader? What? How can we make this work? And then when we're ready to scale again, do we have the capabilities of doing that? Yeah, that's unbelievable. And it's so. And I'm so glad that you say that because. And, and I'm not trying to sell lantern here, but that's what we're actually doing here as well. And I think one of the other interesting things too on that point is uh, what, one thing that customers are really interested in right now is. And, and I, I would love to hear what you've done in the past for this. Is what happens if your champion at your best company leaves? Uh, what kind of stakeholder map do you have in place, or ultimately? That person, if they were a champion user at your organization and they're going to a new organization, that could be a perfect customer success qualified lead to send over to your net new sales. So that's another way that customer success teams could be that revenue generating. How have you done uh, the account mapping and stakeholder mapping in the past? And, and what are your thoughts on the ability to know where people are going so that you could ultimately squeeze that lemon even more? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, there's a lot. there's a lot to unpack there, as they say. Um, so first and foremost, um, if you only have one champion at an account, 
uh, I, I need you to take a step back and have a serious conversation with yourself around the fact that you probably haven't built a big enough bench. And especially if that client is on the bigger side, the bigger the client, the more people you need to have. You, I cannot tell you the number of times I've watched clients churn um, because they, we had one human being that was responsible for owning the product. We had no introductions to anybody else. And when they left, the product left, right? It wasn't, it wasn't. So that is mistake number one. So go back. If you're listening to this, go back, make sure you've got more than one person. Do a little bit of an account mapping. You're, if you don't have an account mapping tool in your organization, Google account mapping, and you can go find some stuff that will help you. Honestly, just start taking names, looking down, figuring out who you have, who you talked to, when was the last time you talked with them, and then having a conversation with you, pick five accounts and be like, how do I get in front of this person and make that your weekly goal? That's all you need to do. I mean, you can talk about the, you know, all these big words and what multi-threading and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> yes, that's fine, but just go look at your accounts, right? Take a piece of paper write it down and then spend that week finding ways to get yourself in front of that person. It's really not hard. Like it's not, it's not rocket science. So then I, I think, so the account mapping obviously is important. There's a lot of technology out there. So I believe CS should really also get licenses to things like sales navigator, LinkedIn sales navigator, um, things like that. It is one of the tools that I use. I create lead lists for my existing accounts so that I'm watching key people and making sure that they're either still there or um, it's giving me insight into um, what they're doing, if they're posting, what's been happening. And that might give me a reason, what we call a trigger um, to reach out or to have a conversation or to show them something. Um, so yes, absolutely. We used to, um, it's been a little bit different in every company I worked at. When I was at the Predictive Index, um, what we actually did before, be Predictive Index has gone through multiple different kind of phases of different things. But when I was there, we actually implemented the first, once you own that client, you own that relationship. So if Jill is at the client and Jill leaves and goes to another company and Jill wants training, you, you get that account, you get to sell them. And that was cool because now you're actually selling like the whole thing. I mean, you're and not now you actually care to build a genuine relationship with that person because it's right. not like, oh, it's not just a little transaction. Right. And I used to, I mean, this was back in the day before the even sales navigator existed. Um, so I would literally have an Excel spreadsheet and I'm not kidding you. Like I would just like check on them. I'd be like, when was the last time I heard from this person? Oh, look, they moved to so-and-so like, Nowadays, you can do that in sales nav. You can do it with a ton of different stuff. Um, there's a lot of add-ons and things like that. So pick your top 25. Depends on how many clients you have. Um, obviously, you know, you could have way more than that, but I would say don't, you know, tier them out, get your tier ones, have a little talk with yourself, find out who you've talked to. If you if you find that you only have one person that you've been talking to, make it a point that you introduce yourself to somebody else at that organization. There has to be a name. There has to be somebody. Don't reach out to them and be like, hey, you want to buy this? Reach out to them and be like, hey, I've been working with X, Y, and Z. Wanted to introduce myself. That's all you got to do. It's not that hard. No. And that's not making it icky. It's literally, we talk B2B, we talk B2C. And it, 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 at nauseum, it's just human to human. And just be just be a good person, right? Be, person. be yourself, be be who you are. No need to be like, you know, if, if it doesn't feel right to you, 
Um, you know, listen, I'm always, always about pushing your own self out of your comfort zone just a little bit, but mm-hmm. you know, if it really doesn't feel right, then it doesn't feel right, but just be a human. Um, I write my emails. I, I tend to write my emails in a way that are um, just sort of human. I, I, I skip a lot of the corporate jargon and I try not to like, you know, load it up with all this fluff get to the point what do you need what's going on what's happening are you interested no cool great moving on (laughs) meg it's so funny obviously just knowing john and just know like i could literally hear a lot of i I could tell why you got why you guys are such a great team and meshing together like i could hear like john is very much a get straight to the point here's where we're at no fluff no bs like you're with me or not i think it's just really i just heard him in the background it's just that's so funny all right let's talk Really interestingly, obviously you've been in the account man- management side of things, and we talked about um, getting CS involved in, in some of these earlier places. Now, one of the one of the interesting things that I love to do when I was um, selling at Dooley, and I, I I was recommending this to all of the other AEs as well, is bring customer success in before the call before you actually close the business to help you close. Because what you're able to do, and this is just my take on it, is somebody is going to be more likely to buy when they could put themselves into the shoes of what a customer looks like. And ultimately as well, when you're in account management, and I think that this is one of the biggest, uh, I think why everybody should take around in account management or customer success is that you know that not all deals uh, are good deals, of course, but ultimately when we're able to, like account managers know that signing that signature is the beginning of the journey. And it's not just the end to the point that we had earlier. When, when do you think CS should get involved in the actual sales cycle, more specifically in pre-sales and then ultimately what should their role be in helping to get that over the line? Yeah. So first and foremost, um, it all depends on your, the size of your organization um, and the value of the account from a dollar perspective, because time is money. So you've got to make sure that if you're including a lot of people's time internally, um, that it is worth it in the end. So uh, that put, put differently, uh, you're not. I'm not expecting a CS person to join on every call um, prior to it. So um, what I usually recommend is if it's above a certain deal value, uh, that that is when we bring in. So when, for instance, when um, I was at a company called Take Metrics, if the deal value was um, above 20k, um, that was when we would bring. Uh, a CS person on board. And uh, again, depending on the situation, we would either bring them uh, on like this, what we would call like the second discovery call, um, mm-hmm. which was after the AE had already had sort of like the first discovery call, the CS person would come on um, for the second one uh, to be introduced. Um, but- what, would, what would that call just to, to, to cut in here? What would that call look like? Are you, are you taking all of that information from that first discovery call and making it more tailored to that person being in there, like updating your tool and customizing it to that customer? Or what, what does that call actually look like? Yep. So the call looked again, very different for every company, right. but that particular situation was, um, uh, the CS person would, um, have, uh, exchanged a form that was put into place with the AE. So the AE would have filled out in Salesforce um, some information that they had to, in order to actually get the deal to move forward. The CS team would go in, would read that information. Um, Usually there would be a quick Slack conversation um, ahead of time, like, hey, I saw this, what is this, blah, blah, blah. Then the um, who was running the meeting was the uh, salesperson would introduce 
uh, do a verbal agenda, uh, say why we are meeting. And one of the reasons why we're meeting was because we wanted to introduce you to um, Meg, who is going to be your CSM, um, hopefully when you sign. Um, but more importantly is we wanted you to um, have access to her now um, and, and let you know that she exists and that, you know, there's a relationship there. But here's where it was different. I, the CS person, would always have questions. So that's when I would jump in and I would be like, yes, it's really nice to meet you. Um, you know, hope we get to work together. I actually have a couple of questions that I'd love if I could just sort of swing by you. I've been looking at the notes that Joe took um, and it seems like X, Y, and Z. So I'm curious, like if you think about implementation, I, it sounds like you guys talked briefly about that. Um, I'd love to get your feelings on how you've implemented other softwares before, because that'll be important for us to better understand how to work together. And immediately what I do in that situation is I'm taking charge. I'm asserting myself in like a, hey, I'm I'm going to be a partner for you. Mm -hmm. um, I'm using assumptive statements, like I'm getting them to fast forward into what implementation would look like. But more importantly, I'm getting them to talk. Because the last thing I want to do is come in and be like, let me tell you all about myself. I've been at you know, take a metrics for four seconds and blah, 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 <laughs> blah, blah, right? Um, so I would always make sure my my team had questions. They either had one or two questions that they could ask that would get the conversation started. The CS, uh, the salesperson still owned the deal. I mean, it was his or her responsibility to close that deal. That's not what it helped with. And it was a resounding, yes, let's do this again from my team was it made onboarding implementation 10 times faster because the relationship was already started and it made it easier and it got rid of the ick factor and you've already established yourself as a presence in the relationship which is a huge huge thing yeah and that's that cuts down on any type of handoff or any awkward situation yeah. of any ghosting or anything like that but besides a speedy onboarding there's a couple really key things that got me super pumped when you're saying that number one cs is further qualifying that opportunity Absolutely. And you could take that, you're able to ask questions if the AE forgot something, or if there's another situation, you're able to do that. And the other thing I think that is really interesting is you're actually testing the champion as well. So understanding, have they actually done this before? And if they haven't done this before, that could be a potential red flag to the AE of, okay, maybe we need to get another stakeholder involved with this, or maybe they, they don't know the exact process. We should ask some of those type of questions as well. I mean, like, why is that so important? And obviously, I think like solutions consultants in, in my selling career, I, I've used that so them uh, leverage them to ask some of those other questions in, in CS. Now, I think that's another interesting thing. Like, I don't even know what my question is. is there, you have any other thoughts there? That's just unbelievable. Yeah, I just, I just think it, sometimes salespeople get um, they they just do the same thing so much that they ask the same questions and they don't get to the root of it. And it's nice to have a, a different set of eyes. Um, ears and person in the, in the mix. And there's no, I know a lot of salespeople are like, oh, I don't, don't touch my deal. No one's touching your deal. We're helping you. You're getting the clothes. I, we're here. We're, this is the reason we're here is to help ourselves afterwards. Mm -hmm. That's it. So, um, you know, I think I had one rep one time say like, I don't want CS join. I don't want them to get a cut of my commission. I was like, whoa, who said they were getting a cut of your commission? This is to help you close the deal. And then help themselves get more money down the road. No one's touching your commission. You're going to get your commission. So I think there's some of that fear uh, in there when, when you put it like that, but yeah, no, I, I think um, hugely important to have CS involved. 
Meg, this is fantastic. We obviously elevated CS as a profession just in this conversation. I know John's all about, uh, you know, elevating the sales profession. You're all about, you know, that and the customer success and just helping revenue teams out as well. Yes. Final question I love to ask every single guest that's on the show. If you were teaching a college 101 class based upon all of your previous life and work experience, what would you teach and why? Uh, how to compartmentalize. Uh, so what do I mean by compartmentalize? Um, as you get older uh, and as you take on more responsibility in life, whether that is business, family, social, whatever, uh, you need to learn to switch hats and compartmentalize real quick. So for instance, um, one of the biggest strategies that I use is how do I go about my day as a business person, as a mother, as a friend, as, you know, a neighbor, as, you know, whatever, as a daughter, how do I compartmentalize these responsibilities? And it has actually helped me, I think, in business more than it's more than really anything else. I can switch gears, but not forget about the other thing. I just need to kind of put it to the side and really focus on what I need to focus on at that moment. Um, so I, I think I teach people the power of being able to compartmentalize, the power of being able to sort of put things in buckets and deal with them as is. Um, it's a huge life skill and it's actually going to help you um, in, in business as well. So, and obviously that's really tough as well. You know, you think about, it, especially in this dis uh, dispersed workforce, I think about like at five o'clock I'm done working and then 502, I'm literally, I don't have a commute and I'm walking upstairs to my, to my children and wife. It's tough to compartmentalize some of that as well. How is it all about just prioritization and knowing, Hey, when I'm here, I'm doing this. And when I'm there, I'm doing that and really staying in the moment or like, what's your best tactical piece of advice of actually implementing that? Because it's- yeah. It's so important and it's something that I'm working on. It sounds like you're working on. It sounds like everybody should be working on as well. I take it hour by hour. Um, I wish that there was, I, you know, it's, I don't go from like, and, and and it's not always perfect. So I, you know, it's like, it's funny last night I was sitting at the kitchen counter and my husband was kind of cleaning up from dinner and kids were in the other room and I was on my computer working. Uh, and he looked at me and he said, do you ever just get tired of looking at your computer? And I realized, I was like, oh God, that means that I've been on my computer way too much in front of my my family tonight, you know, or, or today. They've obviously seen me working way too much. So I immediately shut it and was like, done. We're not doing this. I'm not touching that computer again. We're having family time. And that family time didn't even ended up with us watching a show. Like it wasn't, wasn't we didn't sit around and hug each other, but at least we were together doing something. Um, so I say hour by hour, um, you're not going to, you're not going to be able to figure it out. I think there are people that are really good about shutting things down, um, and, and really not doing anything that doesn't always work for me. Um, yep. I typically don't like to operate like that, but I am pretty good about being able to say, okay, this morning I am focusing on X. That's what I'm doing. And I compartmentalize that way. No, that's fantastic. And, and that's something I've I've been trying to get better at as well with just the prioritization. And all right, this is, I'm going to sit down right now. I have a two hour block and I'm just going to make phone calls. That's the most important thing I need to do right now. And that's yep. it. But even yep. so, just the, the family time, even it, if you're not doing anything, at least it's just consciously being together. And I think that that's yeah. uh, just that time alone is, is super special, at least for me any, anyway as well. Meg, this has been unbelievable. Where can people learn more about you and everything you have going on? Yeah, so um, you can find me on LinkedIn, Megan Holsinger. Uh, M-E-G-A-N, uh, Holsinger. I'm on there. Um, I post 
I'm not like a serial LinkedIn poster, but you can count on me for like a good post a week. Uh, I usually post about something that um, I think is really relevant to both the sales and the CS world. So you can certainly find information um, out there. And then you can also go to our website, uh, sellbetter.xyz. Uh, and when you open that website, you're going to see all the stuff that we do at Sell Better by JB Sales, including you'll see my picture on there, um, my colleagues. We do some great stuff. So certainly check it out. Meg, thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. And if you enjoyed the show, it would mean the absolute world if you went to Apple and rated and reviewed the show for me as well, is this is a fantastic way to help grow the show and help to bring in fantastic guests and even more listeners to our tribe. So Stay tuned for next episode and have a fantastic rest of your day.